Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 447, and we're giving you guys another bonus Friday episode. If you're new to the show, we normally release a Monday Minute podcast on Mondays, which are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. And then we typically release more of a full-length interview style or in-depth episode on Wednesdays. That's kind of our normal cadence, but today we are releasing a bonus episode on a Friday. Our guest is Jay Nickel. He runs a website and YouTube page called Mindful Hunter, which you'll hear about. And Jay's someone I've been aware of for years, been following his stuff, his hunt films, his gear reviews, and more. And then last year he did a big in-depth independent pack review and comparison. And then we spoke with him on the podcast after that review about some of the things that he learned in that process, some of the misconceptions about packs and more. So that's a previous episode where Jay has been on our podcast and I'll leave a link to that in the show description, as well as a link to his pack review. And speaking of reviews, that's one thing we talk about with Jay today, is we talk about gear and gear reviews, why things aren't necessarily always independent with gear reviews, why sometimes, especially if you as a hunter have already made a gear decision, you should stop thinking about it. You should stop looking at reviews. When you've made your decision, go hunt, go use that gear. We talk about those topics and a whole lot more, how to be more consistent as a hunter. Yeah, there's so much in this conversation. So this was recorded actually back in December, and it was kind of an after hunting season recap, some of the lessons he learned, and you'll hear about that as well. The reason we've been sitting on this episode for a little bit is because one, we did the series of state agency podcasts, which kind of changed our release schedule. But also, Jay let me know um, in this conversation that he was working on a new project that was some lifestyle hunting apparel for backcountry hunters. And we realized that if we waited a little bit longer till now, essentially, that that project would be launched. And so you can also check out Forged in the Backcountry. It's Jay's brand new hunting apparel that he launched. And again, another link in the show description. So... You'll be able to check out Jay's YouTube, his Mindful Reviews membership community, his clothing company, Forged in the Backcountry, and a whole lot more. But even if you're not interested in any of that, and you're like, hey, I don't want a t-shirt, I don't want to join a reviews group, etc., tune into this episode. There's a lot of just pure hunting takeaways that I know you can enjoy and benefit from. Thanks as always for tuning in. That was an extra long intro. Enjoy this Friday episode. Let's get into it. Jay, welcome back, man. Good to chat with you again. Uh, last time we had you on, it was recapping a uh, backpack comparison that you did, uh, which was, was that a year? Not quite a year ago then, huh? Because... When when did when did you post that, Jake? Because now I'm losing track of time. No, it's a it's a good question. I and I think the backpack review itself got posted around July, because I think I did my tent review after that, and that was still the middle of the, of the summer. I think we ended up because it was a two part backpack review as well, and I don't think we ended up getting on and doing a podcast until like it might have been September or October. So it hasn't been much over a year. Okay, cool. Well, there's a. Uh... A lot to talk about. You are on the how I should say this. You're one of the few guys I pay attention to, I guess, in the hunting world a little bit. And you've had a lot going on in the last year. And uh, I just thought, man, let's get Jay back on the podcast to hear what he's been up to, both in terms of what's changed for you, like uh, with Mindful Hunter and Mindful Reviews. But also, I think there's some good talking points from your hunts that have happened in the last year. Um, Let's go ahead and dive into mindful reviews. We're actually just chatting before we hit record. Tell the listeners what it is, because I'm sure some don't know, but I also just want to get an update from you on how it's going, because it's something new, totally different, I think, uh, overdue or much needed kind of in the review space. But tell us about it, what it is. 
Yeah, and thanks thanks for for bringing that up. And I'm excited to talk to you guys again. I'm an avid listener. You're one of the. It's funny you say I'm one of the only guys you pay attention to. You guys are one of the only podcasts that I listen to. And I was just finishing the Gear and Review or the Year in Review uh, podcast, and it was shocking to me how aligned we are on like every single thing, even the slight disappointment with the cost and the weight of the Kawa. Like I thought that was going to be like <laughs> the game changer scope of the year. And get, don't get me wrong. I love it. I think it's amazing, but it like, it didn't have that wow factor that and you guys touched on that perfectly, which I thought was, I had a little chuckle to myself while I was driving around listening to that. But yeah, so w- let's start at the backpack review. So the whole reason I did the backpack review was that I took a look around at content creators and I didn't really see anyone who was doing objective non-sponsored gear reviews. And that's another reason why I like listening to you guys, because other than backpacks, you don't have any paid for, you know, allegiances, which leaves you free to voice whatever opinion you have. And so it was really just a hobby. I was still working full time doing, you know, business consulting and, you know, I do pretty well for myself. So it was more of like a little passion project. And I dumped five grand on backpacks, reviewed them all. And it kind of took off for me and it kind of blew up on YouTube a little bit. And I was like, okay, wow, this is interesting because for starters, there's almost four hours of content in that review over two videos. And I didn't think anyone in their right mind would want to watch four hours about backpacks, but it turns out there's a lot of people who want to watch four hours about backpacks and two hours about spotting scopes and an hour and a half about, you know, base layers and people who really want to nerd out. The problem when I was done was like, okay, what do I do with this $5,000 in backpack now? And I ended up selling some of them used, but like took a pretty big hit. And the wife was like, yes, your passion project. And that's great. But it'd be nice if each of these videos didn't cost a couple grand. And I was like, okay, fair. You make, you make a good point. And the next review I did a buddy of mine, uh, give him a shout out on, on here, Tanner Danish owns frontiersman gear and he's uh, a custom knife maker and he also makes some scalable blades and every now and then he raffles off one of his custom knives and i saw that and i'm like what a what a great way because like a custom blade from him is probably between 800 and a thousand bucks and there's a lot of people who can't afford a custom blade but they'll buy a 30 or 40 dollar raffle ticket and you know the odds are one in a hundred or something like that so it's really decent odds and i thought what a great system so I bought nine tents and I did a three season, you know, we'll call them one person shelters, but of course they were all labeled as two, but the odds of fitting two grown men in any single two person shelter is, you know, pretty ridiculous. So I did that. And then I raffled off all the tents afterwards. And it was like, it was sold out in three hours. And so hmm. I thought I, I sat back and I thought to myself, okay, this is interesting because if I had the ability to raffle off, as long as I didn't do any destructive testing and everybody's okay with like a, li- a slightly used piece of gear and they're open to buying raffle tickets. You know, that leaves me free to almost go buy anything I want to review without being beholden to a sponsor. Some things it doesn't work for like boots and apparel, anything that's like sizing related gets complicated because I'm six foot one and two forty, and not a lot of people, <laughs> you know, fit the gear that I, you know, size 14 boots. There's not a lot of people who want to put in a raffle ticket for size 14 boots. But I started thinking more about it and I thought, okay, if I want to build something long-term, there needs to be a membership component to it. Like I want to build a community because I also want to reestablish that in the hunting space. I think a lot of the forums, there are a lot of positive aspects to them, but the lack of a paywall means that there's a lot of trolls and a lot of negativity and a lot of flaming. And there's a lot of newcomers in this space who want a space where they feel comfortable you know, to ask what might be considered a dumb question and have people actually take time and respond to them. So I kind of came up with the idea for mindful reviews. And I want to give a shout out to Cody Rich because, um, you know, his kind of entrepreneurship platform and a couple text messages with him, he kind of helped me, you know, fine tune some of the details on that. And basically what I did is I created an online platform. It's membership based. You can do monthly, annual, or lifetime five bucks a month, 50 bucks a year, or 250 bucks for lifetime. And when you belong to that community, you get full access to the forums. You can buy raffle tickets for all the gear that I raffle. 
And if you're a lifetime member, I do a giveaway once a month, normally like a brand new piece of gear somewhere in like a hundred or $200 range. I think the last two I gave away was a SteriPen and uh, a Sitka incinerator muff last month. And yeah, it kind of, it's taken off like gangbusters. And it's funny because I'm sure we'll get into this, but on my recent whitetail hunt, my Hoyt RX-7 kind of blew up in my hand. So I've decided to do a big um, bow review series. And in order to kick that off, I just started a raffle for a bow of your dreams. So right now there's a raffle that's live that for 40 bucks, you can buy a ticket. And if you win, um, you can get any aluminum riser compound bow of your choice and 500 bucks for accessories. Um, and that's been, and, and, and I only sell 125 tickets. That's the other thing is when you go online and you do see raffles, you know, a lot of the conservation related groups do raffles and I, I fully support those. And I think they're great but they sell like two, $3,000 tickets. Like your odds are not great, but to have one in 125 odds of winning a brand new compound bow. And then I use the money that's generated from those raffles to pay for future reviews and kind of keep the community alive. But in a nutshell, that's what mindful reviews is. And I've been lucky enough over the last year that kind of, you know, as Christmas passes and we get into the new year, I'm going to be a hundred percent transition. That'll be my, my full-time gig along with, you know, help my wife with some of her business stuff. But yeah, I've, I'll be moved on from my, my day job and gear reviews and hunting is my full-time gig now. Wow. It's tricky with reviews because to do them well, obviously you need some objectivity, but then you also need time with any given product right to to truly test it get you know get experience with it you know it's hard to say with product care with certain certain ones you need to check durability and things like that but just the more time you spend with something the more you're going to know it so you need objectivity you need time and you need comparisons right like you need to hold this up against what else is out there and when you start piecing it together to find an objective, well-used, well-compared review is just stinking tough, you know? Um, so it's cool that you have it. And I mean, it, it has to be funded. I mean, if you were going to put your hands on a bunch of great bows or a bunch of great optics or a bunch of great packs, and you're going to spend a bunch of time testing them, and then at the end of the day, you're going to put out a video and a podcast and a spreadsheet and all that. I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into, quote unquote, a review. Yeah. And that was one of the stumbling blocks at first. You know, in the consulting world, you call it the valley of death when you're trying to scale up because there's a lot of kind of infrastructure and, and labor issues about getting your company big enough to have enough billable hours, or you just end up being a mom and pop shop with like two consultants and you, it's more of freelancing than a business per se. And that was the issue that I faced with mindful reviews. Like I could really do, you know, that the depth that I go, I was capable of putting out a review every couple of months. Like, you know, if you go look at my 85 millimeter spotter review, that's a really good example of, a classic mindful reviews, category wide comparative analysis. And it took me, it takes me about two months to do one of those between like getting the gear, running the gear, you know, doing all the testing and then putting up all the content related to it. And it was like, I was never going to be able to, to move over full time, not because you've got to start putting out enough content that it's interesting enough and valuable enough to, justify the membership fee. And that's the, the, the reviews will always be free. They always go up on YouTube. There's no membership fee associated with that. And I'm, and I've been very clear about that. And people still DM me and email me all the time. I have no problem answering gear related questions. It's not like I've put up some kind of wall and you got to pay to get access to me or my opinions. It's just that community element, but I got to give a shout out to my wife. I'm, I'm lucky that she's very driven and very supportive. So kind of financially, we were in a place where she's like, listen, if you need to take six months and it's not going to bring in as much money as it used to be bring in, but that's when it's going to take you to get, get over the hump. Then she's like, just do it. Um, and that's kind of what I've been doing. And this, maybe we'll get into this to the hunting season as well, but paired with this is my ability to hunt because the more I hunt, the more I can test gear. And I put over a hundred field days in this year between August and February I had a seven to 14 day hunt every single month. And for, you know, a dude who's 45 with an eight year old kid to spend that 
type of of that kind of time in the woods to test gear and hunt and and see what works and pursue my passion like it's just a perfect storm of opportunity like i don't know a lot of other people that had that that flexibility or that type of wife or you know that those circumstances present themselves so i feel very fortunate and super grateful that you know i was just talking to adam grenda the other day and uh we were doing a podcast and i was like man i gotta stop like every two or three days and just shake my head like this is crazy that like it's like okay my real life now is like planning the next hunt communicating with people, getting the next piece of gear, seeing what people in the community are interested in. Like every single thing that you asked me what I would want to do in the morning when I wake up and you wouldn't have to pay me a dime for it is everything that I've been able to kind of build this new career around, which is just, yeah, man, I still extremely grateful at the opportunity. I, I, yeah, it still blows my mind. Unique for sure. Taken away one one of the things I want to hit on, and this could go a lot of directions, Jay. And part of it is, I think the time you've been able to dedicate to it. I don't remember the exact context, but somewhere along the way this year, I saw you talk. I think it was with your elk hunt about like one of your goals has been just to be more consistent with hunting. And uh, you know, again, this is really irrelevant to previous to this year i mean you did work a full-time job and a business owner and we're more limited on time and you know it's not easy to always fill tags because you're not doing a bunch of guided hunts and paid hunts and all that stuff so like you're you know you're moving in a direction where hunting is your career but that hasn't been your past um i'm just curious like that idea of consistency and at the end of the day it's what most hunters want they want to be more consistent with filling tags, having good experiences, et cetera. So take that where you want, but I, what, what has been the difference maker or makers for you to be a more consistent hunter? This is a, this is a really interesting question and something I've been focusing a lot of my energy on lately and actually something I've been gearing a lot more of my content around, because I think there is a misalignment in the industry between what people enjoy spending their time on and money on and the activities that will actually help them become a better hunter. I think we do things that make us feel good, but that doesn't necessarily increase our talent or our likelihood of killing. For instance, I think the single biggest factor in increasing my consistency has been increasing my days in the field. Like if you're going to do one thing next year, increase your days in the field. I don't care if you're a guy who does a single 10 day elk hunt every year. Okay. Next year, make it 11 or next year, do an eight day elk hunt and then do a two day or a three day local hunt. Like in some way, shape or form, increase the number of days you spend in the field. That could be pre-scouting. That could be setting up cameras. Um, uh, it, it could be a lot of things, but it's gotta be hunting. Like you have to be actually doing hunting related activities out in the field, because I think there is a perfect correlation between the amount of days you spend in the field and the amount of animals you're going to end up putting on the ground. Um, and that's been my, and, and that's why I say people aren't asking them the right questions or doing the right things. Like one of the things I had to do was like reorganize my head, reprioritize things financially, because the new goal was not to have as much money as possible for all the new toys the new goal was to have the lowest burn rate possible so I could spend as many days in the field as possible without that creating a debt-related situation. So um, I live in British Columbia. I'm super lucky in that there's a lot of over-the-counter opportunities, like more over-the-counter opportunities than I'd ever be able to take advantage of. I still get to do a lot of travel to other provinces and other states. But I realized that as long as I had gas money and you know some dehydrated food i i could hunt basically all year the only limiting factor is my family which is very important to me so obviously that comes into play but anyways so the new question became not how can i make as much money as possible so that i can have as much stuff as possible but how can i create you know an opportunity where i can spend as much time in the field as possible and that means having lower expenses because any day in the field is a day you're not generating income um, 
or you got to have some type of passive income so that you, it's not dependent upon you actually being in front of a computer or at a workplace or something like that. And I think there's, I've been very fortunate through my own podcast and through relationships with people to start to be able to like learn and progress. And I, I think I've learned a lot more this year about being consistent. I think the other point I'll, I'll touch on is mindset. One of the big epiphanies I had this year was that when I first started out hunting, I had this string of success, not, not first started out, maybe by like my third or fourth year being really focused on hunting. I had a, uh, six hunts in a row. I was successful, which is crazy. When I look back on it now and like good hunts, like took an elk, took a 33 inch wide mule deer with my bow in Arizona, like really, you know, killed some great stuff on some great hunts. And then I hit this like dry patch and I like, it was almost like for anybody who watches golf, it's like the yips. And I don't think there's enough attention paid to like the psychological mindset element of hunting. I think there is when you talk about, you know, can you be on your own solo in the mountains and all that kind of stuff? And what's it take to have endurance, but I mean the actual mindset around success. And I realized in retrospect, when I first started out, I was delusional. I had this delusional confidence. Like I was just going to go out and kill. That's just all there was to it. And what happened was I did. And then I hit this place where I was trying to be more conscious and more, you know, I realized I was stressing myself out and, and everybody always, you know, purport, you know, supports this mentality of, you know, we're just going to do our best and we're going to go out there and we're going to see what happens. And I realized that when I just did my best and went out there and saw what happened, nothing happened. And I, and I, I wasn't putting animals on the ground. And this year I really said to myself, you got to get back to that guy who was almost angry, like focused and dedicated to the point of obsession and like no room for doubt. You will go out and bring an animal home. Like that's all there is to it. Now you might end up being wrong, but you need to have that that deep level of confidence. But that raised another very interesting question. I don't have the accolades to support that level of confidence. You know, John Danaher, this really famous BJJ coach has this great saying that, you know, confidence is the result of building up a set of undeniable evidence about your skills. And the problem is I didn't have that undeniable evidence. So I was left asking myself the question, well, if I don't deserve to have this confidence, how can I still behave like I have this confidence? And I'm not a big fan of the of the phrase fake it till you make it because it kind of has these negative connotations. But the phrase I adapted is act as if. So I knew I wasn't like a Ryan Lampers or a Remy Martin or Remy Warren, Remy Martin <laughs> alcohol. Uh, I was going to Google knew- that. Like, who's Remy Martin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll make a nice Christmas gift. I can tell you that much. Um, I wasn't a Ryan Lampers or a Remy Warren. Um, but I knew what those guys do. I've seen enough of their content. I've talked to enough guys like that. So when I when I ended up in situations, I was just constantly acting myself like, what would what would those guys do? What would those like legitimate world class hunters do? Like, there's another ridge over there. What would they do? They'd go over it. You know, at six forty five, we got fifteen minutes left of daylight. I want to start walking back to camp. What would Remy do? He'd keep glassing. And just every single time I ran into a decision where ran into a situation where there was a decision. I didn't say, what do I want to do? Or what do I think is the best thing to do? I said, what would those people who kill constantly and reliably do in this situation? And I did that. And then what happened was it led to me taking more stuff. And then that started to build up that undeniable evidence that I really was as good as I wanted to be. And don't get me wrong. I I still have a long way to go. I'm nowhere close to those guys, but I now have the mindset that I need and I have the time that I need. And now I think all those skills people are talking about and all the YouTube videos you want and all the fitness, like now you can utilize those elements. But the issue is I think those most people are putting that other stuff first and they're forgetting that your mindset and the amount of time you have in the woods has to come first. Then that other stuff becomes beneficial. So I'm not sure if that's exactly what you were looking for, but that's been where my focus has been in order to increase my consistency. And one last note is like, I had to remind myself that that was my initial goal. 
because I think we get sidetracked by trophy class. And I'm not going to say that's not important to me. I want to kill big stuff. I'm not going to lie. However, if I remember what was really important to me when I first started hunting is I just wanted to be that guy who filled the freezer every year. And that doesn't mean I'm, I'm going and shooting dink bucks. But what it is, is I put myself in places where my opportunity is greater and I don't get distracted by what would be sensational on social media. I focus on the goal at, at hand, which is finding a, you know, a reasonable representation of the species that's mature and legal and excites me to kill. And then, and nothing else after that matters. That's 6,000 could take from what you just said. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think what stands out to me is that at first that sounds uh, like woo woo, right? Like it's all like mental. You yeah. gotta believe it and it'll happen and you can manifest positivity and great things will happen. It's not that it's, it's what you said. It's, Act as if. So if you're going into it expecting success and expecting to kill, then you're not taking the easy way out or the convenient thing or giving up on the last little bit of daylight you could be glassing. No, because you're expecting something is going to happen. I'm going to find something. I'm going to create a shot opportunity. Something's going to happen. And it changes your action it changes what you are doing and that's what creates the success um i mean it makes me think of like our spring bear hunt this year steve like mm -hmm. we had hunted this area you know a couple of years before great all good plenty of bears success we go into this area can't turn up a thing conditions are not good beginning to question like timing and feed and gosh where are the bears right now and elevation but we're still expecting to go in here and have success and we made a decision of, hey, instead of like just going out of this country, let's actively hunt our way out of this country. And that included some physical effort that would have been easy to skip past and going the opposite direction that would have been easy to talk ourselves out of doing and ended up killing a bear. And it, But it's because we expected to have success and then made decisions going, no, let's just not get back to the trail and hike our way out of here. Let's actively hunt our way out of here um and it created an opportunity and again that's not going to happen every time but if you don't have that confidence and expectation you're just going to whether you realize it or not you're going to make decisions that put you further away from opportunities i i love that you brought that up because that is 100 what's at the the nature of that kind of activity you know, if you look at confident people, for the most part, confident people are more successful. And I don't think it's because it manifests or, uh, you know, a hundred percent. It's not that woo woo nonsense. It's that there are hundreds, if not thousands of tiny little decisions and behaviors that truly confident people make throughout the day that create a higher likelihood of success. Like look at sports players. Like the difference between a Jordan and a run-of-the-mill NBA player to the naked to the to the layman's eye, there is no difference. Like they're, they, what they're doing is so close to each other that you wouldn't be able to decipher it if you weren't an expert. But when you are an expert and you look at it, it's like he's just a quarter second faster. He makes one decision a, a different. He places himself here before the ball gets there, you know, two to three more times a game. Like it's all these little micro behaviors that when they compound throughout the day and throughout the hunt and throughout everything, mathematically increase your likelihood of success. So I think that's that's very important that it's not, because if you think it's the woo-woo thing, I think it can actually you know um, flip on you and bite you in the ass because that's going to cause you to lay, lay back on your laurels and be like, oh, I'm just, it, it'll happen. you know. And it's like, no, it's not going to happen because you will it to happen. It's going to happen because you make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's all kinds of times where it's easy to talk yourself out of it isn't going to work. It won't happen. And then you just, yeah, you just end up behaving differently and it's behavior that matters, but the mindset drives the behavior. Yeah. See, I, I like this is, that. sorry, go ahead. Steve. You, yeah. You were just saying that it's a thousand little decisions that all lead to the result of success, right? Like it's not just one thing, but your entire action all day long from the from the moment your alarm goes off and you crawl out of your tent uh there's just all these little things that you see 
I've, I've mentioned this before on the podcast where it's like you go hunting with somebody who's super successful or, or opposite. It's like, they're all, you're all going through the same motions. Just your, your NBA player analysis is the same thing, right? Like you're, you're doing the exact same thing, but why is this guy more successful than the other? And it's all these little tiny micro decisions that I do think, as we're saying here, like that, when you have the confidence that it's going to work out, you just keep doing them more and more and more. And eventually it you know, leads to success versus the guy who goes home empty handed. Hundred percent, and this is where I think the gear, the food, and the fitness come into play. And I think people put those things first, and they don't realize you need the mindset first to want to stay out longer, to want to get up earlier, to want a glass more. Then once you make up that, then the slightly better gear, the few more calories a day, the not for a shameless plug, the slightly better backpack. It's going to enable you to execute on those decisions, but you got to make the decisions first. Otherwise you're just wasting a bunch of cash on stuff. That's never going to do you any good. Yeah. Right. That's, that's like a mar There's a archery range that a fishing game does. And it's an area I, I do a lot of training hikes and I was up there hiking middle of summer, super like hundred degree day. Uh, and there were some younger kids up there shooting, and uh, they saw, they, they recognized me and we talked for a little bit and I, I wanted to be like, you know, cause when I was their age, 19, 20, I was out shooting every day and would training like didn't exist. Right. Like, it's just like, oh, I'll just suffer through the first month. And I wanted to tell those guys, like, if you want to be better hunters, you know, it sounds opposite, but if you only got so much time. You should probably be training more. Cause that's going to be shooting. Wasn't the, the barrier, right? Like yeah. um, having the, having the physical endurance to stay out there and not get tired and keep a positive attitude and keep going was probably if you had to just look at the two like obviously it's seems counterintuitive so you don't need to shoot your bow but uh, and obviously you do but the uh the time like those guys were shooting every single day um and it's like if i could go back in time it's like no flip that shoot one day a week train six days a week i'll even go a little bit further on that in this in this push to get more days in the field like could you take some of that time and go have a side hustle could you make, right. go make a little bit more money? So it's like, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there's this like big push online to like constantly be reinventing your arrow and shooting a new bow. And it's like, come on, I've been shooting <laughs> the same arrow for three years. I mean, you know, other than an issue with the bow, I've only ever owned two compound bows. My first one lasted me five years. Now I could have spent 15 hours a week dinking around with arrows and my bow, but instead I spent 15 hours a week generating income which meant I had that many more days to go spend in the field. And this is where I'm saying you need, people need to reorganize their priorities. Like it's not about, I love the Pareto principle, this 80, 20, like what's the 20% of effort you can, you know, um, put out to get 80% of the return. It's like, you don't have to be John Dudley or Tim Gillingham or, or Levi Morgan. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, as long yeah, as you yeah. can put an arrow in a dinner plate at 60 yards, it's like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's so much time is wasted on uh, like I said, just things that are, aren't actually going to improve your success or the guy who loves to, to reload and do load development for his gun. You know, he spends countless hours and thousands and thousands of dollars working on load development all year long to really like every single load combination he, he developed would work absolutely fantastic for, you know, just get out there and go take it hunting. Mm -hmm. And this is where I don't think Okay. The one of my other passions is bodybuilding. And one of the things I like to tell people is like, if you want to become a bodybuilder, you don't look at what Jay Cutler and Ronnie Coleman are doing because they are so far above you that their activities, if you do them, they're not going to give you the result they're giving them. You want to look at the guy who's one step above you and go do what he's doing. And I think the problem in the hunting space is that people are looking at these like really popular, famous hunters who do have unlimited days in the field and can spend countless hours tuning their arrows and, and, and reloading their rounds, but they can do that because of everything else they did over the last 20 years. And you don't get to skip to that last step. You've got to go do the stuff they did two, three, four years in to create the kind of opportunity that then, you know, once you've got your life, like that stuff is still worthwhile doing, but not if you're at the point where you're trying to transition into that, you know, truly consistent hunter where it's more than just, you know, luck out and take something home every couple of years. I love that. Yeah. Cause it's, I think people get discouraged obviously, cause they're, they're making crazy comparisons, like whether it's somebody online or their consistency or the hunts they get to go on. 
not only discouraged by like, oh, well, they have success and I don't, but they get discouraged when they look at like their life, maybe, right? Like how much time they do get to spend and whatever. But yeah, as you said, if you look at somebody just a little bit ahead of you in experience or even in opportunity, right? Like maybe we're not talking about going from one hunt a year to making it your career. Maybe we're talking about going from one hunt a year to two hunts a year. How did that guy, the guy that you know that gets two weeks a year and you only get one week a year, how did he get to two weeks? You know, forget about podcasts and YouTube and Instagram. <laughs> like, forget about all that stuff. How does the guy just ahead of you get to where he's at? I love that. I mean, you touched on this, but one thing I did want to come back, and this was very early on in this whole topic, was hunters focusing on what's sexy versus what's beneficial and again we've we've hit it we hit that Mm -hmm. but i did want to come back to it is there is there anything else you see jay of like i mean maybe it's not reloading or shooting or whatever but i mean even on time and maybe it's not of a hunting thing that's a waste of time but gosh to your point like a guy could have a nine to five and maybe he's wasting a bunch of time and maybe it's not his personal time maybe it's like a I think it could be a family thing, right? If he would give up the nights at the bar or the this or the that, like he can find up, find more time to hunt, you know, like and more time to have more hunting and have a better family life balance, you know, that type of thing. But yeah, I mean, that there's a whole bunch of directions to take that. But I'm just curious if anything else comes to mind for you in terms of focusing on what's sexy, not beneficial or things that are just a waste of time. So a really good friend of mine, said this thing to me a few months ago that really stuck with me. And he's like, the thing you need to do is recognize the single most important activity that will drive you one step closer to your goal. And I think if you, I think if I've ever had any talent, it's been the ability to be analytical and make decisions. Cause I do, I think decision-making is difficult um, because there's always compromise But I think people have a tendency to get confused by what provides either a psychological or a physical reward. I'll, I'll, uh, okay. Mine is working out. I love working out. It makes me feel good about myself. I've done it for a very long time. I competed in bodybuilding competitions the last two years in a row. I am deeply, deeply passionate about bodybuilding. Does bodybuilding drive me? closer to my goal of spending more time in the field? No. Okay. So what do you got to do then? You got to quit. Now you still work out a few days a week, but like, where does the benefit end and the ego begin? The same thing with archery practice, same thing with, you know, how you spend your, your free time. Are you doing this because it drives you closer to your goal or are you doing it because it makes you feel good about yourself? Because those things are not the same. And that's where I think the confusion occurs. I'll give you a real concrete example other than bodybuilding, growing mindful reviews. It took me about four to six months to realize that the actual activity that drove mindful reviews growth was the big category-wide review-based raffles. Now, there's a lot of other fun stuff I can do around mindful reviews. I can do cooking videos. I can do training videos. I can make Instagram posts. I can record podcasts. Like, like this stuff is fun for me. It's easy. It doesn't take a lot of time. I get a lot of feedback from the environment that, that people enjoy that, and it strokes my ego, and everything's great. But does it create growth in my community? No. The raffles... And the large comparative reviews, I'm just about to start range finding binos. I got six pairs on the way. Like this is hard work. When they show up, I get anxiety. I open up a blank spreadsheet. I don't know where to begin. And I will find other things to do. I'll go clean the garage. I'll go shoot my bow. I'll go work out at the gym. And so when I wake up in the morning, I ask myself, like, what is the single most important thing that you can do today that is going to drive you closer to your goal? And it's like, ignore everything else to the point of detriment and do that one thing. And I guarantee you, if you execute like that on a consistent basis, you will get to your goals exponentially faster. Um, But it's hard, man, 
because the ego is sexy and it's like, it feels good. And it's like, it, it, it's very cyclical and it grows. And it, like, the more you do that stuff, the better you feel about yourself, but you have to, you know, stick that in your back pocket. And sometimes it means from the outside, it's looking like you're failing. Like sometimes I'll go three to four weeks without any meaningful content coming out of mind for reviews. And I know and in my head, I'm like, people think I'm not doing anything. I'm not providing value, but I have to sacrifice the near term, you know, emotional reward in order for the long-term growth. And I think if you can have the discipline to do that, it fundamentally changes your likelihood of success in life. One thing I don't want listeners to hear, and this is conversation moving this direction. What I'm afraid of earlier is guys hearing all this, like it's all about success and you have to give up and like quit other hobbies and do this and do that. And like, it's not about making hunting serious or losing the joy of it, losing the fun of it, giving up things you enjoy just so you can fill tags. Like that's not the case. I think the thing to highlight is Jay is though a lot of the easy things that stroke the ego or bring like an immediate dopamine hit like oh that feels good i like that it's just that those are a lot of the times we're chasing ones that are very fleeting it's something that like feels good for a minute so like in your case to use your example it would be easy to get on instagram and create a post and get a bunch of likes and comments and whatever versus being much harder to spend the next hour working on in-depth content and reviews that take time, that don't provide immediate rewards, but are working towards your ultimate goal. And at the end of the day, if we can all just train ourselves, and you can take this outside of hunting in a lot of areas of life, if we can all train ourselves to not just choose the immediate reward, but work towards the ultimate goal of what's going to be most fulfilling, We'll all be better off. It's just there's so many temptations to chase the thing that's easy to do right now and provides some quote unquote benefit right now, but only lasts for a little bit and doesn't actually move us any closer to what we said we really, really wanted. I think that's super important. And the other thing that I want to highlight here is that be honest with yourself about what your goals are. You know, cognitive dissonance comes when there's a discrepancy between our perception of our self-reality and our actual reality. And it's like, it's easy for people to look on Instagram and see all these people sit, is being successful and be like, oh, I want to be one of those people. But like, have a real sit down with yourself. Like, do you, or is this like something fun for you? Because that's okay too. And I think there's a difference in the way you approach things when it's like this little aspect or this, and I, and I don't even want to trivialize it because I have the tendency to use negative, you know, connotated words when I, when I speak like that, because I do tend to be so obsessive, like, but it's okay not to be, but you just need to realize, readjust your expectations. Because if you do want this to be like a side hobby that you get to go have fun in a couple of years and it doesn't cause you a lot of stress you may need to adjust your expectations because you're not going to have similar results to somebody who is deeply obsessed. Like it's just not possible. Yeah. What's a, uh, <laughs> this has all been like deeper philosophical, which I thoroughly enjoy and is great. I'm curious, what's a very practical takeaway from one of your hunts this year, Jay? If you look at like, hey, here's this one like, more concrete, less philosophical takeaway from one of your hunting experiences this year. What is that lesson? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to kind of give like a, a double-edged piece of advice. So one of my faults, you know, my, my previous day job was I, I founded and ran a behavioral economics consulting firm, which deals with, you know, cognitive biases, like loss aversion. And the one I'll talk about now is action bias human beings are wired to assume that acting is better than not acting. And that's not true mathematically. In fact, it's usually the reverse. You're probably, you're, you're usually, unless you know the exact course of action you should be taking, you're better off not taking action, but action feels good because it, uh, I think it's because it distracts you from the fact that you don't actually know the solution to your problem. But as a hunter, one of my problems is moving too much. 
you know, I've, I've done a, some so, solo sheep hunts and goat hunts. And when I do e-scouting, I'm looking at like hundreds of square kilometers. And I'm like, I'm going to hike 22 kilometers this day. And, <laughs> you know, 14 clock and it, and it, and it's like, you end up blowing through territory so fast and not looking into, and like all stuff that's like beginner to intermediate mistakes. And one of the things I was able to do on my, I did a, a, a Colorado second rifle mule deer hunt, never been to Colorado in my life, drove down 26 hours, you know, hunted and, and ran into all the typical Colorado problems. Like there wasn't enough snow. It wasn't cold enough. The deer hadn't moved down. There was people everywhere, like blah, 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 blah. And I was lucky. I had a couple phone calls with some locals. Like I wasn't going into it with zero Intel, but like pretty close. And I was kind of bouncing all over the place at first because my, my kind of instinct is cover more ground until, and you know, I think it's like this, like, it's like why people are always looking for honey holes. It's like, you're looking for this magic spot where you're just going to show up and it's just going to happen. And the reality of it is maybe a few of those places exist, but I don't have any of them. Like success comes from, um, repeated, you know, disciplined activities that increase your likelihood of success. So anyway, so I'm bouncing all over the place. And then finally, I find a spot that's got a magical combination of a decent density of deer and a low density of hunters. Now I'm walking in because it was a, a motor vehicle free zone. I'm walking in like a good three, four miles every day, like a good hour of hiking just to get you know, to where I'm actually starting to be productive. So there's a penalty for what I'm doing, but I remember going in two days, this hunts on film, by the way, it's called unreasonable and it's on my YouTube channel. If anybody's interested, but I kept, I would be walking out at the end of every day from this thing. And I would be trying to talk my, I would be depressed because I'm like, well, where am I supposed to go tomorrow? And I was finally, and I've never been able to do this before. But I was finally able to say, did you see deer today? Yeah. Did you see people today? No. Then where you're going tomorrow is exactly where you went today. Because the more time you spend in areas with higher deer populations and lower people populations, the greater the likelihood of success. Like it's math. And there's not this like magical place where you're just going to show up and there's just going to be this 180 buck on this hill at 380 yards. Like it's not going to happen. You just need to keep grinding in the same spot over and over and over again. And coming out on that last day, still kind of still hunting, kind of walking. It's just a buck comes walking through the woods at 75 yards. It's like, I, I don't know how much credit I, I take for that. Like, you know, there was a bit of luck, but the, the takeaway for me this year, and this was, I had to learn the opposite with elk hunting, which was until you find decent sign, you keep moving. And you move and move and move until you find that sign. And then once you find that sign, you stop and you you kick over into hunting mode. What I had to learn this year with deer hunting is that you stop looking for the magic spot. If you got a spot where the odds are decent, you just keep going back and keep grinding it out. And the more time you spend in that spot, the higher your likelihood of success. It couldn't help when you, when you started out there with like you pick these massive areas to go hunt. Like I, that's just that's so me uh the like especially for like a mule deer like i'm gonna go scout this area it's like a 20 mile loop that i think i'm somehow gonna cover in like a 24 hours or something and then <laughs> yeah I'll like and my buddy jason who's a you know amazing mule deer hunter uh like he'll be like send me a point he's like i'm gonna go hike here and glass this 400 yard chunk of this hillside for two days you know because he's like <laughs> he did all these scouting like that's where the deer's gonna be where i'm doing this massive uh I'll be here and here and here and here and here and here and just bouncing all over the place. And certainly it works for certain animals, certain, you know, but uh, when it comes to mule deer, I think, like you said, blow, you're blowing through more country and not actually just thoroughly covering it. 100%. And I think the theme today is like finding the activities that actually drive the likelihood of success and, and covering more ground when you're mule deer hunting feels good because you're hardcore and you're hiking and you're moving, but it's not increasing the likelihood of success, finding those little nuggets and pockets in like the typical bush they're like in that time of year. And then focusing with laser precision on those areas and just, you know, grinding it out. 
isn't as emotionally rewarding, but in the end of the day, it creates more success. Yeah, I felt that. I mean, the elk I shot this fall, it was the first time I saw something in the morning, truly committed to sitting on it all day in hopes it would give me an opportunity that evening. It happened to work, but like there were so many times in those long hours of the day of sitting in the same spot doing nothing where I was like, this is stupid. Like I'm just wasting an entire day I could be hunting, you know? But when I sat back and like took emotion out of it, I was like, I think it like from an analytical perspective, like I think this is a very smart play. It doesn't feel good to sit here. I want to be up and moving and covering country and finding a bowl. But I don't know if I look at what I've learned about elk and just am analytical. I think this is a decent decision, you know, and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Obviously, in this situation, it was. But it just to your point, like it didn't necessarily feel good. It wasn't what I wanted to do by nature, but it was what I felt like I needed to do for that opportunity and for that specific condition, you know? That debrief podcast you guys did on that hunt is an exact example of what I'm talking about. Like you guys were raging internally. Like it was the (laughs) last thing in the world you wanted to be doing, but it created success. And so I think, yeah, detaching the emotion and the, yeah, whatever you want to call it, that psychological reward from the actual mathematical probabilities of success is, you know, a step in the right direction to creating more success. You do have to, Mark, we've talked about this too. I think it's really important. We kind of briefly touched on this, but to define what success is. Maybe success, I think for me, it was always measured by a dead animal on the ground. And then this last couple of years, I've definitely flipped like, like how much fun can I have while still being successful? Um, and I'm trying to find this year, this year I went too far. I think like a little too lazy, <laughs> slept in a little too much, you know, like, um, but, uh, I'm trying to flip that around now. Cause I, I, I know how to suffer and be miserable through a hunt and come out successful. But to me, it may be looking back on some of those hunts that I've done in the past. It's like, well, maybe that, you know, maybe I was, I took it too far. Uh, I, I do. I enjoy I love just to be out there and and be backpacking in this beautiful country and hiking and covering ground. And um, maybe, you know, I, I'm personally just trying to find that sweet spot between, yeah, basically maximizing my fun and enjoyment of it while also at the same time coming out successful. And it's, uh, it's kind of been a fine, fine line to balance. I think that's a great point. And I think it's about recognizing where you're at in your journey. Like I, you know, you're further down your journey than I am. And I think I'm still at that, like hungry, need to prove myself in a positive way, chip on my shoulder, need to get it done. And I think you're kind of on the other side of it where it's not about proving something to yourself anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I know I can be successful. I've been um, very successful the last decade. Uh, So yeah, let's go have some fun. Helped a lot of people this year, uh, which was fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just identify what that is. I mean, if you've got that one week a year, um, you just, yeah. What does success look like for you? And then make that a reality. Yeah. Yep. And that, that decision isn't final either, right? That can change year to right. year. It could change based on what your life dynamics are that year and how much time you are going to have. It may change based on what tag you draw. There's a guy who could go from being like super casual. Let's have fun this year. or Let me focus on helping somebody else to, oh, I drew this great tag or have this special opportunity. Like I'm going to buckle down and treat this real serious. And it's not, it doesn't have to be like this fixed personality trait, if you will, right? Like your goals and what success looks like. You can choose each year, each hunt, each hunt what what your goal is for that. Um, I mean, that's honestly like how I was going into Kodiak this year. The hunting ended up being tough. We didn't anticipate that, but legitimately my number one goal was to get Justin a buck. Because he's been to Alaska a couple times, has never had a tag of his own. He's been there for me and given up a lot for like my mountain goat hunt. And I was like, I a hundred times will give him a shot opportunity before I get one, you know, if we're hunting together. Like that was my single goal. And that's not a charity case. Justin's a phenomenal hunter. That's just what I wanted from that hunt um, and got it. And so it's just, yeah, it's don't get so fixed on this is what it looks like every single time. It's okay to change that. Yeah, I think that's a great insight. Even when I'm doing my hunt planning for the year, 
I take that into consideration because I have different needs that I'm looking for hunting to fulfill. Um, you know, some of the solo backcountry stuff I do, the odds of success are dismal, but it's like, that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing mm. it because I want the adventure. I want that, like, you know, come to Jesus moment in the middle of the backcountry when you're like, <laughs> man, I don't know if I'm getting out of here and you're by yourself and you're scared. And it's like, I'm, I'm looking for that. And that sometimes comes at the expense of a high likelihood of success. Like I know I'm putting myself in areas with low densities of animals. Cause I want that remote wilderness experience. But, and again, I think this comes with aligning your expectations with your goals. And I think when you have expectations that don't align with your goals, that's a recipe for uh, disappointment. But when you say to yourself, like, listen, this is my adventure hunt for the year. Then it's like, who cares if I come out with something or at least not who cares, but that's not the ultimate goal. And, or spring bear for me is like fun. like it's not a rugged grind like it's bc there's bears everywhere i'm gonna cruise logging roads i'm gonna look at railroad tracks it's like that's my fun hunt of the year and so i do think you can even have different hunts within the year that serve to fill different needs within you as an individual yeah thousand percent in some remaining time jay i mean we could talk for hours and hours (laughs) and i loved every bit of this but in terms instead of looking at takeaways from your hunts this year what are some takeaways from the reviews you've done this year because as we talked about you have had a unique position to put your hands on a lot of gear and make bigger comparisons than others so like even if i just scroll through the reviews that you've done uh pick the 65 millimeter spotter guys can go watch the full thing and you know watch an hour plus of content and get super in-depth and analytical on all the key stats and numbers and how you broke that down and hopefully they do if they're interested but i'm just curious like for you in that particular review sit on this side of it like what's your summary what did you learn what what's are some takeaways from that that's a really interesting question i've had some i've had a lot of kind of revelations from reviewing as much gear as i have this year one is to be more measured in my in my, how do I, how do I phrase this in my communication? Like, I think I had a tendency to want to be, you know, kind of outlandish and loud. And when something sucked, I wanted to say it was terrible. The thing is the more time you spend with a lot of these companies, there's a lot of people who really care about the output. And I'm not going to say that's true with all of them, but I will say that's, that's true with most of them. And sometimes when a piece of gear doesn't meet your needs, it doesn't mean it's garbage. It means it wasn't built for the purpose that you're using it for. Also, people need to realize like shit happens. The funny thing is like, okay, here's a prime example. So I was on a whitetail hunt in Saskatchewan like three weeks ago and came to full draw on the biggest whitetail in my life and let go. And my Hoyt RX-7 kind of blew up in my hands. And what actually happened, I'm pretty sure, is that the epoxy failed. And there's an insert that holds the drop-away rest onto the bow. And the entire insert came off with the rest still attached to it. It's like a one in a million thing. You know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't happen. And if that had happened to me a year ago, I would have hopped online and just, like, blasted Hoyt. You know what I mean? Because that would have been the sensational thing to do. But it's like, I've learned to give myself time. Like digest things go talk to people like is this an an actual flaw with the bow or is this a one in a million thing because that's the other thing you need to realize like the more gear you run the more likely you will something will fail on you like for those guys that get their system dialed and they run the same thing for five or ten years like that's the safe bet you're you're going to have far fewer failures doing that if you're the guy that wants to run new stuff every year you just you're you know mathematically you're more likely to run into a failure. So to be more measured in my in my response, I think is something that I've learned personally and, and I owe it to the audience. Also weird things happen like I had a tent fail on a, on a on a sheep hunt and went back and forth with Sea to Summit and they tested it and they couldn't replicate it and they sent me another one back and I couldn't replicate it on the on the other one so it's like maybe it was a one-off thing, maybe it was a it was a user 
thing. And it's like recognizing that sometimes you got to run stuff for quite some time. I do my best on the channel. I don't have the luxury to run everything for a year. Cause I would, it would, you know, all the content would be out of date and people are more interested in kind of relevant gear, but to like, lots of times I come back to stuff. Like I do round one and I say, I'm going to get back to you and I'll, I'll kind of hold off on judgment. But I think a more practical piece for, for people is that like, again, this comes back to uh, being honest with yourself about what your goals are. Like if you like nerding out about gear, like if it's rewarding to you to spend a lot of time looking at different characteristics and reading about different coatings on lenses and all that kind of stuff, then have at her. If you just want to hunt, don't let gear anxiety take over your life because I've looked through, I don't even know, 150 grand worth of optics in the last 12 months. And I'm telling you the odds of any one of them putting down an animal for you over the other one is like a single digit percentage point. And I'm talking the difference between like, you know, $500 optics and $6,000 optics. Like it is such a small component of what's going to drive your success. And yet I think it's such a big component of where people, people spend their time. It's like, it ain't worth it, man. Like go get something that's good enough and go spend more time hunting. And I get confused sometimes because it's like, well, why do I spend all this time reviewing gear then if it's not that important? And it's because primarily it's super expensive. I don't want people to buy more gear. I want people to buy the right piece of gear. Like, I don't want you to have to buy three backpacks before landing on the right one. Cause that's going to be three grand for you. And you're going to lose about 800 bucks by the time you sell all the ones that didn't work for you used. So if I can give you information, that's going to get you to the right piece of gear quicker. So you can spend more time hunting, then that's very rewarding to me. But the, the gear should be like downhill of the real priorities, which is like spending more time in the field, having the right mindset. And it's like, I, I, I think people hang too much like responsibility or too many hopes on gear. Like, Oh, if I can get, you know, the new ambient hoodie, that's going to be the, and it's like, it ain't man. Do you know what I mean? Like, I live in BC, the amount of dudes who are killing shit in Wranglers and Mac jackets. It's like, it's insane. Like, there's so many old dudes that don't give a shit about any of that stuff. And they're absolute assassins compared to everybody running the the latest thing. So I think it's don't waste money, but in the same breath, don't, don't have such great anxiety that it, 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 it causes you to, you know, miss out on spending time where it's really going to create, you know, more opportunity, whether that's opportunity to have fun, whether that's opportunity to take your kids, whether that's opportunity to put something on the ground, whatever that, that goal is for you. Yeah. It's back to the 80, 20 rule Pareto principle. And I will say, once you do make that gear decision, stop researching, <laughs> go use the thing. Like it, that's what also kills me sometimes is I'll, you know, we, we get a lot of gear questions and I enjoy it. But when I find out it's someone asking questions about a decision they've already made or something they already have, it's like, dude, stop <laughs> like stop stressing and analyzing. Go use the thing, you know? Uh, you made your decision. The difference that you could get from changing your gear at this point, from a financial perspective, the time perspective, you're investing it mentally, like it's probably non-existent, you know? just really interesting principle in, in behavioral economics, uh, cognitive overload. So they did a study and they took two similar grocery stores. And in one, they had a wall with three types of jam. And in another one, they had a wall with 24 types of jam. And the wall with three types of jam drastically outsold the wall with 24 types of jam. People think they want choice, but they don't. What they actually want is fewer options. They they find it easier to make a decision. The other thing, the buyer's remorse in the wall with 24 jams was significantly higher than the wall with three jams. I think this is one of the reasons for EXO's success. It's your simplistic approach to SKUs. It's like, there's some other guys out there. You go on that website, you're asked to make 40 decisions before how many pull pockets, what goes here, what goes there, how long is this, what color is that? And it's like, then when you finally get it, it's like, man, I don't even know if I got the right thing. Maybe I should have got another pocket. Maybe I should have got this. 
But like you go to EXO and it's like, pick your size, pick your color. Let's move on. Let's go hunt. And so I think, and if I want people wanted a practical piece of advice out of that tactic, it's don't spend all, don't keep adding more options to your more products as potential options. Like if you're going to get a spotting scope, go pick your top three, really drill it down, make your decision and move on. Don't go look at 40 spotting scopes because you're going to get overwhelmed with the details and you're never going to be satisfied with your purchase anyways. Yeah. And sometimes it's okay to pick your top three and then just go, which one can I get a better deal on right now? Like you could overanalyze the top three, but especially on like spotting scopes in particular, if you're picking three quality scopes, like they're gonna be great. <laughs> Go get one that you can get your hands on at a price that you're happy with and use the thing. It's such it a has fun, been like, good. Yeah. I was just, we're all like, this whole podcast is about not, like, <laughs> not, not getting too hung up on gear, but all three of us could talk gear for oh, hours, 24 yeah. <laughs> hours straight. <laughs> like, 100%. It's a, that's a very hypocritical, like, yeah. uh, I, we love talking gear. I love looking at low development. I love this. I love that. Right. Uh, Jay, I know I could, I could like, I want to talk about your tent review and we could probably talk shelters for forever. Um, but at the end of the day, if we're talking about, yeah, what moves the needle for whatever you determine success to be out in the field. And generally that's going to be some aspect of that, of course, is coming out of there with a, with an animal and a heavy backpack. Then what are the things that actually make the most difference there? That's where you certainly, if you're trying to get from, you know, being, successful every four years to be being successful every year you need to analyze what that is and where your time is best spent and it's not researching gear for infinite hours every single night yeah and i'll give one last plug for mindful reviews come over and join the platform i'll do the research for you and you can spend more time hunting there you go (laughs) oh tagline in development right there yeah (laughs) seriously though jay uh you're easy to find, easy to follow, but do give us a quick recap for the listeners. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. YouTube channel, uh, Mindful Hunter. Instagram, Mindful underscore Hunter. Um, mindful reviewscom for that platform. I do have a newsletter that I don't really do that much, but if you go to my website, mindfulhunter.com, and you go to the contact page, what I've actually done is created. I think it's about a seven or eight page PDF about nutrition and I have a background in personal training and nutrition. So I go like hardcore on if like, if you like to nerd out on nutrition, I have a whole backcountry meal planning PDFs with a bunch of uh, example meal plans for stuff and, you know, macro breakdowns and all that kind of stuff. And if you download that and, and give me your email, you'll be on the newsletter. So if that's something that interests you, that's another way to stay in touch. Well, there you have it, guys. I really enjoyed that conversation. Jay, thanks so much for joining us. Again, for you guys listening, there's a bunch of links in the show description for you to check out on all the things we covered, whether that's reviews, content, new apparel, and a whole lot more. Go check out those links if you're interested. And if you can, take just a brief moment and leave a rating or review for this podcast in whatever podcast app you are using That would help us tremendously. Thank you for doing that. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com, and we'll talk to you soon.